Hey friends, welcome to the Everyday Mealmanship Podcast. I'm Ty Evans. Thanks for hanging out with me today. Uh, it's been a couple of weeks. I've gotten uh, I've gotten kind of busy. I've been, well, I've been off of the clinic tour and home, so to speak. But, uh, you know, when I'm home, I, I seem to be way busier than when I'm out on the road. You know, when I'm out on the road, I it's pretty good. I do the clinic, you know, three or four days a week and then usually a day of traveling and then and then I'm just kind of there, get to just ride my mules and spend time with family. But when I'm home, oh my gosh, there's so many things going on. And uh, I got all these mules at home that need to be ridden. Um, working around the house, fixing fences, taking care of the, the place, you know, visiting all the family we haven't seen in months and just a lot of stuff going on. I'm I'm putting together my 12 days of Christmas coming up. I can't believe that December is just two weeks away. And uh, if you're new to me and this podcast and what we do, um, then you probably don't know about our 12 days of Christmas. But what that is, is pretty much everybody that is signed up for a clinic next year. So 2022. If you're signed up for a clinic in 2022, you are automatically entered in this drawing for 12 days. And we have some amazing sponsors, just to name a few. We got Jeff Pace Saddlery, Colt Saddlery, Joseph G Saddlery, Triple H Outfitters, K&J Outfitters. Uh, we got everything from headstalls to britchens to a custom Bozal even, and the grand prize kicker of them all is a custom saddle built by Colt Saddlery. And this is not just a cheap production, put it together saddle. The Colt does an amazing job. If you have been to a clinic in the past year with me, then you've saw me ride in my Colt saddle. Uh, the one he built me was a, is a beautiful wade saddle on mule bars uh, just a great buckaroo saddle and i have used the crap out of that thing and it's held up really good but he is going to be our main sponsor colt saddlery sponsoring a saddle amazing and we're really excited about that uh but we got a lot of great sponsors for that so i've been putting that together for you guys uh sky and i have been filming and editing videos we got a lot of videos to put on the video library and if I uh, if only I had faster internet here at my house to upload these videos quicker, I would sure be grateful. But uh, putting videos on, uh, working on our newsletters. If you're not subscribed to our our biweekly newsletter, go to tsmeals.com, check out our newsletter. It's free. Send out a little training tip. Send out some announcements. So, and working on articles. I if you didn't know, I've been. Uh, writing for Western Mule Magazine for quite a few years, and and I write an article every month, and so I'm trying to catch up on those. In the wintertime, I, I kind of like to write a few of them while I'm home. That way it's not such a hassle when I'm on the road. But And Western Mule Magazine is one of our sponsors for this podcast. Thank you very much, Ben and Anita. I also want to thank uh, Mules and More Magazine. Corey Daniels over there does a great job with the Mules and More Magazine. And also want to thank... Ben Lewis with Roman Home, uh, building some fantastic wall tents, and of course, Colt Saddlery.
Thank you, guys. Appreciate you sponsoring these podcasts. Um, like I said, a lot's been going on. Uh, our last clinic of the year was our extreme trail riding clinic. Now, this clinic is like my highlight. I like to end my year, end my clinic tour, I should say, with these extreme trail clinics every year. And, you know, it kind of brings me back to my roots of why I do what I do. You know, when people ask, okay, what do you use your meals for? What what do you do? What do you enjoy doing? You know, mainly trail riding. That's my main gig is trail riding. Particularly trail riding in, in uh, the wonderful canyon country of Utah. Rough, rugged, rocky country. Uh, ancient country, you know, the land of the petroglyphs and the Indian ruins and, and, uh, dinosaur footprints and just, uh, I love riding out there in that country. It tests your mules. It tests you. It pushes you. It's rough. It's harsh. And, uh, I figure if I can get my mules going pretty good out there, they can go just about anywhere <laughs> except for maybe crossing water. Uh, cause there's not a lot of water out there. So I have to work on the water crossings elsewhere there are a couple rivers we play in uh, but we do try to avoid those those rivers when we can because there's quicksand <laughs> so i still don't get a lot of water crossing done while i'm out there on that desert but you know i love doing that and we've done these extreme trail riding clinics now for six years it's been a heck of a ride um things have changed you know one thing that changes every year is our kind of our qualifying rules to get into this clinic. You know, this is, this is my favorite clinic and this is my favorite place. And so I'm pretty particular about who comes on these, on these uh, clinics, these extreme trail riding clinics. I want people that first of all are very serious about their mulemanship and they really want to work on themselves and their mules to be better. So that's the first thing. And then I want people that really enjoy this type of writing. This type of writing is absolutely not for everybody. It's not for the trail rider that just wants to go down the trail, enjoy the beauty, because honestly, there is no trail out here where we go. Um, we're just riding out through the canyons, the desert, the rocks. There, there's no trails. And, and uh, some people can't even fathom that, getting off of a trail and going somewhere, but... It's good for the animals. It's great. It's great for you. But, you know, every year little things come up to where I say, you know what, I want to, you know, I, I used to just have it as an open sign up. You could just jump on my website, sign up, come anytime you want. And, uh, and then I changed it to where you had to have attended a clinic with me some point. And then I changed it to where you've had to have attended a clinic within a year of the extreme trail clinic date. And this keeps, this keeps, I'm, I'm glad I made that rule because it helps me keep tabs on the people that are coming and make sure they're serious about working on the stuff. Because, you know, we get out there, we're so far away from everything. I mean, the, the nearest hospital is, is a couple hours away. Um, and I just, you just can't have things going wrong. I've had a lot of wrecks out there with people and, it's just too far out to be screwing around with that kind of crap. It's just, it's not the place. And so I want people to show up that are prepared and that are working on things. I don't want a bunch of rednecks to show up 
get on and have a big old bronc riding match. No, I want it to be, I want it to be pretty organized. I want people to be squared away, ready to rock and roll, looking good, feeling good, feeling confident that things are going to go good. And then, you know, something I'm, I've changed recently too, is I want to know what mule they're bringing. So I need to have seen the mule in a clinic before because not every mule can, can handle this, this type of riding. Not all of them can, can do it. So, you know, I, I need to know what mule they're bringing and all these things, all these things, uh, you know, add up to a good time. Um, every year I get a, quite a few people that want to come to this. I get a big list of people that want to come to this. And then I kind of go through that list and the qualifications usually kicks a lot of people out. And then, um, you know, I try to put together groups of people that are going to enjoy each other's company, going to enjoy being there together, like-minded type people. And, you know, it has turned out to be pretty dang good the way I put all this stuff together. It, you know, everybody comes together and man, we have a great ride. And this, and this last clinic we did out there on the, on the desert was just fantastic. You know, everybody did really well. Everybody had a good time. Um, there was a couple little glitches and I want to talk about that a little bit. Um, you know, sometimes we get disappointed when our mules don't perform how we hope they would perform or how they usually perform. Usually, you know, we, we get out there and we hope they'll do this, hope that they'll do that. And that, and that doesn't work out that way all the time. And there was one particular mule there that, uh, had a little bit of a hard time. And this is a mule I've known, been around the mule bunch. And, um, so I, you know, in fact, the mule has been on the extreme trail riding clinic before, but he had a hard time. Um, and the rider's confidence was a little lower, a little lower confidence than she usually has. And, you know, she opted to lead down quite a few obstacles, which is totally fine. In fact, I, when we have our little meeting, I tell people, hey, you know, if we get to some of these obstacles, if you don't feel confident that you can, you can do it, that's not a big deal at all. Um, just get off and walk. And like I said, I, I, you know, I require all these people to have attended my clinics beforehand. And, um, that's been pretty good, but I've, I think I may have to require them to take the foundation class within a year as well, because when this individual got off to lead, her mule was absolutely just going to run her over, just go over the top of her. And there's one little obstacle. He's coming down this really, really steep hill. And there's rocks everywhere. There's no trail, so you can't even picture a trail. This is just a way through the rocks that I found. And we have to kind of go down this little shelf. It's super steep. Get to a spot. You have to go pretty slow. Pick your way through these big old rocks. And these rocks are kind of moving, too. This is kind of on a sand hill. It's it's just everything but vertical, okay? It's... It's very steep, and we spread out, go one at a time. Anyways, she gets to this spot, doesn't feel super comfortable, so she she opts to get off and lead. Okay, that's fine. So she gets off to lead, and then there's a person in front of her, another rider in front of her that is riding down, 
and they're about 15 foot ahead of her, which is enough room if you guys, you know, if everybody's taking their time. Well, she gets off to lead her mule, and he blows past her, just pu- pushes right past her. She loses the rein, and he starts making his way down. He kind of cuts down, <laughs> which is amazing because this is really rough. And he says, oh, I better not go that way. He comes back up to the path that we're kind of trying to make here. And now he's pushing towards the rider ahead. And this really puts the other person in a serious bind because this is this is tough country. You, you can't be getting pushed. You can't be getting hustled. You can't be getting smashed and having people, you know, people and mules come past you. Anyways, but he pretty much passes the other rider and just kind of pushes her out of the way. Luckily, she had the other mule that got passed is in the bridle, a, a nice bridle mule, and she handled it just fine and no big deal. But man, that was the first that was the first little little spot that was really touchy, to where the leading wasn't going good, you know. And um, and some of these places, you, you mean you gotta if you're gonna get off and walk. See, I I feel I'm a little slow on my legs. Ever since I busted my left leg, I've, I've, I've kind of felt safer riding than I have walking. Um, and you know, if you're going to get off and walk in some of this rough country, you better have them broke to lead. And a lot of people don't take enough time and work on the groundwork and be really particular about the groundwork. And when you're leading around the barnyard and just going to the trailhead and riding around town or whatever, maybe it's not a big deal that your mule doesn't lead very good. But if you're going to get into some rough country and you choose to get off and lead, then you better have things going pretty dang good. And, you know, honestly, sometimes you need to put your mules into some situations where you can test how good they lead. As you're working on leading, make sure you practice those stops. Make sure you're practicing backing up. and and be particular. Try to get some punctualness going on. But this was our, our big glitch on that particular clinic was, was this mule really not leading well and the rider not feeling comfortable enough to, to ride it, which is totally fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But you better have them leading good if you're going to do that. You know, the rest of the clinic besides that little deal went great. You, in in these clinics, these extreme trail riding clinics, our our big focus, and I and I give this talk at our little meeting the night before, is building a yes mule. Now, if you've listened very long, you've heard me talk about yes mules before, and it, this is super important to get this willingness. and And the, a lot of these people, they come, they they repeats. There's some people that have been every year since I started doing them. And there's some people that have been every year, uh, you know, for five years in a row, three years in a row, four years in a row, whatever. And even those people that are repeats, and even me, if I'm riding the same mule that I've ridden out there many times, we always start on obstacles that are pretty simple. So we can get some easy yeses out of the mule. I want to get the ball rolling on the mule saying yes. This is super important. Yes, mule. And these small obstacles 
we can get an easy yes on those, then we build to the next, into the next, into the next, until, until you can get some pretty, you can get some pretty challenging obstacles going on and your mule saying yes, and they're happy about it. And it's just amazing. But had you started with that difficult obstacle, you might've got a no right off the bat. So building is super important. And I, and I kind of tell these folks that it's very similar to our, our writing checklist. You know, when we, when we're just doing our basic mulemanship, you know, we start on the ground and we do that groundwork, even with the older ones, even if they are amazing animals, you're not worried about getting bucked off. You're not worried about problems. You do the groundwork and it maybe only takes you a few seconds, but you do it so you can get a easy yes. And then you get in the saddle and you start doing some simple moves, asking for lateral flexion, asking to move the hinds, asking to move the front, asking to ride on course on a loose rein and you just take this little step up step up step up and you get these yeses these yeses that way when you get to some challenging stuff maybe you want to work on the haunches in today maybe you want to work on leg yield and side passing maybe you want to do some lead changes uh maybe you want to work cattle when you get to these these spots you will get yeses because you've built yes 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 all the way up that is so important to build those yeses Usually when somebody asks me, they've had a, a problem with this or that. They say, hey, I've had a, I'm having a hard time backing my mule up. I'm having a hard time, you know, building a side pass. But then I, I ask them, okay, walk me through, talk me through your ride. How, how, what did you do before you asked for the side pass? Tell, tell me everything you did. Like, well, I went out there, I saddled up my mule, I got on, I asked him to go sideways. Well, well, that's how come you wasn't getting your yeses because you, you asked them to do something they didn't know how to do. It was challenging. And instead of building some easy yeses on things the meal is already confident on, getting them warmed up, you went right to the challenging thing. Sometimes with this whole checklist thing, be it on my extreme trail riding clinic with obstacles or you just riding in your arena, is actually warming up the physical body getting the muscles firing and ready, getting that brain thinking. Okay. If you go out and ask for just a particular move um, and the mule is kind of a little tight, the muscles aren't quite stretched out and warmed up, you, you might get some nose out of that just because the mule doesn't feel so good yet because they're not quite warmed up yet. So that's a big part of it too. But more importantly than that physical part, which is very important, I'm not taking away from that, is the mental part, that brain. Getting that willingness saying yes. Getting them free thinking and willing and excited to work for you. That's what we're looking for. And so we try to build that on these extreme clinics. Getting those yeses, that's so important. And building that yes meal, I hope everybody that came... If they left with anything besides just an amazing experience, they left with that that mentality of building a yes mule and taking the time it takes to build that. So it was great. If any of you want to come to that extre extreme trail riding clinic, well, you first of all, you got to come to a regular clinic. Come ride with me. Come meet me. And then uh, t ask me about it at the clinics. I'd love to talk to you about it. It is just, they are continually the highlight of my year doing those clinics. I just love them. So we are going to, get, going to take a quick break right now and thank a sponsor. And when we come back, 
we will jump into some questions. I got some great questions that uh, have been emailed in. And don't forget, if you have questions, you can always send me an email, ty at tsmules, and be sure to put in the subject line question for the podcast. And we'll try to get you on the get you on the podcast, answer your questions. We'll be right back. Okay, we are back. And I got some great questions for this episode. The first question comes from Mr. Scott Nichols from Idaho. He says, this is a question about leading from in front of the mule versus sending or driving with me standing at her shoulder. If I step out in front of the mule to walk her someplace, she will often not move. I don't pull her, so I go back to her shoulder and point the loose lead forward. Sometimes I need to swing the tail end of the lead behind her shoulder, but she walks out fine. Have you seen this before? Does it indicate any problem or hole in my training that needs addressing, or is she just conditioned to only walk out when I'm in that position? Thanks, Tiny Sky. Okay, Scott. Uh, yeah, this happens a lot. I see this quite a bit. Um, I've dealt with it a lot. Uh, a little delayed in the leading. They don't. They're not quite with you. They're not quite, uh, you know, maybe they're standing there and you go to walk off and they don't walk with you. They just sit there. Um, You're doing the right thing. Go ahead and drive the mule if they don't want to lead. But you got to kind of make going with you, being there, an easy thing. Sometimes it seems like the mules get just a little bit dull and they don't really follow you. They don't really care about staying with you. Um, and they just kind of get complacent standing there. Sometimes when we do our groundwork, we have conditioned the mule and made it easy just to stop and stand there. For example, we're going through our moves where we, we clear the front, send them in a circle, roll the hinds, roll the front. We stop and they stand there and maybe they stand out there on the end of that lead rope. That's totally fine. I'm not saying that's there's anything wrong with that. I mean, I'm teaching you guys to do that. But we also need to draw them into us to find comfort near us. So what's happening if we always just stop them and leave them out there in the end of the lead rope, don't do anything else, is they learn to just find comfort out there on the end of that lead rope on their own without you. Uh, and that's fine. They do need to find comfort within themselves. That's totally fine. This is all good. But there's a balance. You also need to draw them in, bring them into you, and have them stand with you too so they find a little comfort being with you. So as you do your groundwork, you work at that. When I go to lead and I have this little issue you're talking about, Scott, and they don't really want to move, they're just stuck. First thing I'm going to do is I'll put a little pressure in the lead rope. If they put slack back in that lead rope and they start to walk and follow me, great. Keep slacking that lead rope. That's great. Uh, Second thing I'll do, though, if if I put a little pressure on that lead rope and they still don't want to walk up, the next thing I'll do is maybe take them off of square. So maybe I I walk a little out toward the left or a little toward the right, try to take them on a little bit of an angle. So I'm not just walking straight ahead. I'm walking at a little angle left or right. And this will kind of take them a little bit more off balance and will cause them to want to take a step the second they take a step, you release that rein and you give them some slack. A lot of times they'll just say, okay, I'm, I'll just go with you here. No big deal. They find the slack and they're happy about it. Uh, other times you'll do those first two steps and nothing happens. 
but they might just stand there. They might just be, and you got to understand, they might just stand there because they are totally comfortable just standing there. They don't feel like they need to seek any more comfort or they need to go with you. They're happy to be there. It's not like they're trying to, you know, it's not like they're trying not to lead. They're just saying, hey, I feel pretty good right here. Why should I go? And so that's when I'm going to, I'm going to bring up a little bit of confusion. I'm going to bring up a little bit of pressure. I'm going to bring up just a little bit of curiosity. I might, I might walk back to them, swing the tail end of my rein. I might swing them, slap them on the butt a little bit, roll the hinds a little bit. I might kind of slap the saddle with my rein. I might cause just a little bit of stress and confusion, not too much. Now you got to be careful. You don't do too much because that's going to take you into a different state of mind, but you, you bring it up a little bit and then you, you go off and you start to walk and draw them to you and help them just find comfort walking and moving with you. If they get stuck again, I might go drive them again and bring up a little bit of that stress and then walk away again, try to draw them to me. I might go through this multiple times. Um, but the point is they need to just find comfort following you and being with you. So great question, Scott. I appreciate it. Let me know what you think of that. All right. The next question comes from Lee Freeman. Hey, Ty and Sky. Uh, I know that we use the checklist to develop our mules in a consistent and measurable manner. And I understand that the art of mulemanship is never done in building, is never done when building our yes mules. My question is, what are some ways that we might tweak our checklist or up the ante when practicing so that we are able to induce that little bit of stress to ensure the mule and myself is in a learning environment? It is my understanding that consistent practice is building the muscle memory and the neural pathways for us to easily access the movement, but I want to make sure I'm not building the wrong set of movements, and I for sure want to avoid being in a rut. Thanks for your time. All right, Lee, that is an excellent question. Um, a lot of thought into that question. I appreciate it. You know, we like I was just <clears throat> just saying in Scott's question before is, yeah, w- we kind of want to put them in that learning, a good learning state of mind. The, a good learning frame of mind we now understand is a, a little bit of stress, a little bit of confusion, a little bit of concern, not too much. But they, they can't just be sitting around dull. And if it's completely quiet all the time and it, there's never any ups or downs, that's that's not a good frame for learning, for improving, okay? I mean, you might enjoy your ride. Nothing went wrong. But there was, necessi- there was not necessarily improvement. And it's not getting them stressed that is when they learn. It's when they come off of the stress what caused them to find comfort and where did they find the comfort that's the key to the learning right there so to answer your question lee in regards to the checklist okay this is why we continually work on the next step and there is going to be a point in the animals education where you've taught them every move that they can make all right um you can keep on refining that and getting it a little bit more punctual, a little bit more accurate, a little bit more centered, a little softer. You're always working on that. Um, but you're climbing the list. Okay. So, for example, 
in the very beginning, when you're working just in the snaffle bit, uh, in the very beginning of their, their education, you're in the saddle. Maybe you get on, you work on lateral flexion, you ride some centered circles, you roll the hinds a few times, you get to doing your one rein stops, your lateral stops, and then you get going to roll the hind, roll the front. Well, that might be your wall. Roll the hind, roll the front might be pretty challenging. Okay. Um, and and when you when you transition from rolling the hinds to rolling the front, that might be enough stress for the mule. That might be challenging enough. That's okay. You so you 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 push that threshold to that level. No problem. You go back down the list and help them just review what they know that day. Day two, you come out and you go back up that list, and now you roll the hind, roll the front is a little easier. Well, okay, we're doing one step pretty good with that front end. Let's see if we can get two steps. So you kind of push to get two steps. Okay, that's they, they kind of got it, but it was kind of hard. It took you a little while. No problem. You go back down your list, review, relax. Day three, you come back up, and now you can easily get two steps moving that front. You go on to the third step and, and you build. At some point, you move on to the next step, which is picking up a soft feel. You know, your soft feel progressions are a long time. So you don't necessarily have to bring up the animal's energy or their life through these moves. Sometimes just adding the next move is enough stress. And it's kind of challenging reading this, reading that stress level, reading that understanding level in the mule. And, you know, it just comes from time and practice. You just got to do it more often. So, so to answer your question, to induce that little bit of stress or to, like you, you said, up the ante in the checklist is a lot of times just adding the next level to it. Once you have inter- introduced all the levels and you've gone all the way up to the top of the list, well, then you can refine it a little bit more. You know, hold that soft feel a little longer. You can um, try to try to do more with less. You know, try to stop using your hands so much. When you take away the rain on a lot of these things, you'll be doing. In order to use more rain, or excuse me, in order to use more leg, a lot of times you got to use less rain. And when you do that, the animal may be confused, and and that might be all it takes. Just trying to use less aid. Okay. Um, you know, also introdu- one thing I really love is is cattle work. Anytime you get a chance to to bring cattle into the mix of things, it adds another element because it gets the mule focused not only on you but on the other animal too. So they're having to kind of think about both things at once and or or flick back and forth flip back and forth between the cow and then you and the cow and then you, that might be enough to add a little stress too, Lee. So, you know, you might think about those type types of things. Thanks for the question. Let me know what you think of that, Lee. Appreciate it. Okay, Taylor Weatherford from Kentucky. Do you have some tips on how to get horses and mules to stand well for vaccinations and blood draws? Yeah, uh, you know, we've talked about this, Taylor, in previous episodes. I can't remember which episode it is, but we've talked about this before. The main thing is to never make it a bad experience. Uh, You know, the the first time you ever draw blood or the first time you ever give a shot, if you can make it a good experience, that's really the biggest deal. And then you just keep making it a good experience. Um, 
So you kind of get them familiar with some of the things that are going to happen. Um, when I give them a shot, a vaccine, I'd like them to kind of have a little bend to them. So I might ask them to bend laterally to the left. And, uh, you know, I might tap on the skin, pinch the skin a little bit. Um, when you bend them a little bit, it gives you a, a little chance to kind of give you some slack in that skin to the left on that left side of them. And that helps a little bit. So where they're not so tight and tense. Uh, and it doesn't seem to, doesn't seem when you do that a little bit, doesn't seem to bother them so much. The other thing is to be real quick about it. Don't, don't take your time, uh, poking them, just get in there, get out and, and make it real smooth and efficient. And, and, uh, another thing that I've noticed that helps make a good experience is don't have them tied up tight. Don't snub them down to a post or a tree or in a vet rack or something. If you can help it, have them free moving where they, they know that their feet are available to them and they can go somewhere. So if they are a little bothered, you just move them a little bit, um, you know, and that seems to help a lot. Um, but I think having a good handle on them above all to where they're not just freaking wild and dragging you around everywhere, having them centered to where they're comfortable being with you is a, is a huge, is a huge help. Um, you know, and this question is variable because, you know, if I'm vaccinating mules or horses that are really wild or don't have a lot of domestication to them, I might just run them into a, into a chute. You know, if you guys have been to a, an arena, a rodeo arena, you've seen bucking chutes and you've seen the, the de-rigging chutes, the strip chutes. You know, um, you, you put them in that where you're above them and they're safe, you're safe, and you can kind of do everything above them. Sometimes that doesn't seem to bother them as much. And that's, a, 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 you know, if they're if they're real wild, it's better to do that than try to put a halter and lead rope on them and deal with them that way. Um, but the main thing is, is just have that, ha have that first experience be a really good experience. Then the rest of it goes pretty nicely. You just keep repeating that. Um, if they're building the anxiety, you know, maybe they've been, maybe they've been to your vet, maybe they've been in that building and they know oh, every time I go in there, I get poked, you know, I get poked with a needle and, um, they're going to have a little, little hesitation there. They do learn, they learn what's comfortable, what's not comfortable. So, uh, and they got a, a good memory, um, of those things of where they felt comfortable and where they haven't felt comfortable. So it's not grudge holding. It's, it's learned behavior and it's learned, you know, it's, it's, it's learned, uh, pressure, right? So make it good the very, the very first time. If you already have one that has problems, then I do recommend, uh, working first of all on getting a good handle and then work on that lateral flexion, work on maybe being able to tap that skin a little bit, pinch the skin a little bit, and just do a little. Don't sit there until you get a reaction. A lot of people will sit there and they pinch them and they do stuff until the meal moves away. Just do a little bit and back off. You be the first to back off. That seems to help some too. So thanks for the question, Taylor. 
Okay. Our last question of this show comes from Carly LeBlanc. I hope I said that correct. She says, I understand your groundwork is working towards your saddle work with full-size mules, but I have a mini that I believe I am too large to ride. I'd like for him to be able to pack and pony uh, and in my wildest dreams be driven. Shall I focus on ground driving, training, or saddle riding? Well, um, so that's her first question. So Carly, if 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 it's too small, then you know all the ground. So so here's the difference in the in training to ride and training to drive. All your groundwork is exactly the same up to the point of choosing to get on their back or hitch them uh, to a cart or to start driving. Okay, so all the groundwork is exactly the same. There's only a few things you can do with an animal. You go forward, you go back, you go left and right. Um, so all, all the groundwork is is the same. When you get to the point where you want to ride, that's where you have the saddle. You start your riding work. If you get to the point where you want to drive, you that's where you you start the driving process. And I am not um, I'm not an expert on driving, so I'm not I can't really go into any details on how to prepare them to drive. Other than some ground driving, some stuff. I mean, I've I've only broke a couple to to drive, and um, you know they weren't even that great. So <laughs> I'm not the best to help you on that. But uh, yeah, the groundwork is the same. It's no different for riding or driving. The next question comes from her. She says, "Do you have any advice for these spunky mini mules? No one can seem to tame. Uh, he's eight years old, supposedly." But from what I can read, he was kept in halter, never touched in his early years, has some great lead rope manners until he spooks and loses his mind. When he is soft on the line, he will clear the front, roll the hinds, but it seems he is trying to beat the flag, not be guided by it. It's hard to keep him in a calm state of mind and hard to bring him down from it from his anxiety. He is also super reactive and horrible with his feet. He balks and sits back from time to time. He always seems tense and nervous and halter, even when I am calm. Uh, he also seems to hold a grudge after we have a bad day. So I mentioned this earlier. They don't hold grudges, but they do learn whether they're comfortable or not. Um, I'm at a roadblock with my groundwork, and I don't feel I can move forward in any regard if I can't, if he can't even stand for a trim. Any advice? Welcome. Okay, Carly. Uh, okay, on this eight-year-old mini mule. Um, you need to start over, start from the beginning. Uh, it, and standing to be trimmed is towards the end of the groundwork anyways. I don't worry about picking up their feet until I can control their feet, move them left, right, stop, back, forward, you know, um, that's what I'm looking for first. So don't worry about trimming this mule. And you mentioned, there's a little phrase in here you said, a uh, little sentence in here you said, he sits, um, uh, let's see here, he sits back from time to time. So that tells me when you're trying to work with him, pick up his feet, you probably have him tied up. I'm, I don't know. That's If I say a horse sets back, that's what I would mean. I'd mean that they're tied up and they set back on the lead hang back on that lead rope. Um, you shouldn't, if you're having these, this many problems, he shouldn't be tied up while you work with his feet. 
So this is what I do if, if he's mine. First of all, I'm going to get this this meal comfortable just being around me. Now, a lot of times with these mini meals, people, because because they are so small, people get away with bullying, pushing, pulling, dragging, and just manhandling these little things, okay? Uh, don't do that. Treat this little mini mule as if he was 16 hands and 1,300 pounds, just a big dude. Treat him exactly the same. And go back to all the basics. Get all your groundwork steps going nicely. When it comes to working with his feet, I would encourage you to teach him to lead by a foot. If you don't know what that is, go to my video library, tsmules.com. Watch the videos on leading by the feet. And teach him to lead by each foot. This is a great way for you to work on his feet. Make it make it pretty easy. You know, uh, with the flag also, you mentioned some flag work in there. If your groundwork, you have some trouble there. You know, your flag should just help dry, move him if he doesn't go off of your lead rope. So make sure you're introducing a loose rein. That's super important. A loose lead to guide him left or right. And then if he doesn't move off that loose rein, then you come in and you drive him with a flag. Um, I don't want him scared of the flag, but he also shouldn't be guiding by the flag like you said there. He shouldn't be, the flag should just be indifferent. It shouldn't mean anything to him. Okay, so uh, that's important there too. But just sounds like you need to go back to the very beginning basics with this, with this little guy. Treat him as if he's a big mule. Take your time. Don't worry about trimming him. Uh, I mean, you know, if he's, if he's, just stinking wild and you got to get him trimmed. I mean, there's, there's plenty of ways you can trim him. Uh, you know, some of these wild horses, they have big tables. They put them on, put them in a table and roll the table over and they, they trim, them, put them back up and turn them loose. You know, I mean, it, it, if it's, if it's that big of an emergency to get him trimmed, I mean, there's lots of ways to do it, but I don't think it's that big of an emergency. I think you could probably work through this, get him quiet, get him comfortable and it shouldn't be any big deal. So, and this is kind of goes for all of us uh, with, with any of these problems that we're having, you know, how pushed are you for time? I mean, you know, one thing, if you've been to my clinics, you heard me talk about manana. Manana just means later. It doesn't necessarily even mean tomorrow in this culture, this great basin culture. It just means later. I don't have to trim this mule today. I don't have to. He's fine. Uh, you know, I don't have to get this perfect today. I don't have to get this working. There's always later. Prepare so that you can do it later. Take the time it takes. It's no big deal. I think that's something we could all do is just slow down a little. Um, you know, I had the opportunity to ride with Martin Black. He was an amazing cowboy. I mean, a great stockman, good horseman. Uh, just recently went up and rode with him a little while and we was moving some cattle and, and we, this was a quite a little drive for the cattle. I think we went 10 or 12 miles total that day and, uh, not super rough country, but it was some up and downs, you know, and these cattle were poor. They were really poor cattle, skinny and poor cattle. Uh, they had a hard, they had a hard summer up there. And at one point Martin said, you know, Hey, let's just, let's just stop right here and, and let these cattle graze for about 20 minutes. Because if we take 20 minutes here 
it might save us an hour trying to push him up this mountain. So we stopped and loosened our cinches and let the mule's backs breathe a little bit, let the cattle graze a little bit. And sure enough, just like Martin said, the rest of the trip was just fine. We kept pushing the cattle. It was fine. It worked well. But we took that little 20-minute break, and that 20-minute break saved us a lot of time. He said, when we got up to the very top, he said, you know, if we hadn't taken that 20-minute break, we would still be fighting those cattle up this mountain. We'd still be fighting them, pushing them, trying to get them to come up the mountain because they would be wore out, their bellies would be empty, they'd be hungry, and they'd be fighting us the whole way. They'd be looking for any way out other than where we want them to go. And, um, you know, it's the same thing with our mules and our horsemanship, our mulemanship. You know, take take your time. Sometimes slowing down a little bit will actually... You might think you're not getting enough done today, but it's actually going to save you time in the long run. Rather than pushing through, trying to get this mule trimmed up, having them hang back, set back, like you say, and having them fight this, take slow down a little bit, take a little time, get them prepared, and it might save you time later on. Anyways, thanks for the question there, Carly. And thank you all for your questions. Don't forget, if you have a question you'd like me to answer on this podcast, you can email me. Ty at tsmules.com. And also, I'd love to hear what you think of this podcast. Uh, if you're listening on Apple, uh, leave a review for me. Leave five stars if you think we deserve it. Tell me what you think of the podcast. And uh, those of you that don't listen on Apple, well, heck, just send me an email. Tell me what you think. I'd love to hear from you. And don't forget, we have our 2022 clinic schedule now up on our website. Go to tsmules.com. Uh, We've added a lot of great clinics. Uh, just recently, we've added a clinic in Tennessee. We haven't been to Tennessee for a few years. It's been two or three years since we've been there. So looking forward to coming back to Tennessee uh, and a lot of other great clinics on there. Super excited. So be sure to check them out, tsmeals.com. And all of you, God bless. Take care, and we will see you down the road. <music>